Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist, and today I'm picking it out with Andrew Pope. Well, it's another podcast. Just called Picking It Out. It's another podcast, y'all. Just called Picking It Out. Mr. Vern Lundquist in the house. Yeah, and we're going to be picking it out. And the guitar's out of tune a little bit. (laughs) Well, hey, y'all. And Gracie, my cat, is... Apparently going to be present with us again. So my name is Andrew Pope and appreciate y'all tuning in to picking it out again. You know, we ain't going to hem haul around today. We, uh, we got a true legend in, uh, just sports broadcasting, uh, television. I mean, just really, really honored to have this guy on, uh, what a career he's had, uh, Lifetime Achievement Emmy Award in 2016. Not many people, not many people pull that one. And uh, really, really honored to have Mr. Vern Lundquist with us. How you doing, man? Andrew, I'm doing fine. I'm uh, doing very well for a Sunday morning. That's the beginning of a new week, you know. And some of us of a certain age have become increasingly grateful. <laughs> When we wake up in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know I've known for a long time. I've always heard your voice, you know, whether it be uh, the Masters tournaments or football. Um, and I've known, you know, the, the, uh, over the years, you're a sentimental guy and, and I am too. And I just had a, I had a feeling that you're just a, you're just who you are. And that's kind of, that's why I wanted to really talk to you because, you know, I've, we've had a lot of folks on here. Uh, some I've kind of known through the music business. Some I didn't know at all. I was, you know, hooked up with them from another uh, mutual friend. Um, but I'm really honored that you, that you wanted to come on and have a chat. Well, it's my privilege to be here, and uh, I'm I'm an open I'm an open book, as they say. So uh, you can take this any direction you'd like. Well, the first thing I want to say is, uh, what about LSU last night, man? Oh, brother! <laughs> well, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin is his own kind of human being. Uh, take that for whatever it's worth. And uh, so, and, and uh, so many of us who were involved in SEC football, uh, and as I was for 17 years, <clears throat> uh, we're not, we're not, uh, <laughs> I wasn't, I, I, we were at a music event last night, so I didn't get to see uh, any of the last night's games. <laughs> <laughs> 
except the last quarter of Washington, California. Uh, and my wife said, can we go to bed now? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm addicted to college football. And, and uh, so I didn't get to, well, of course, LSU Ole Miss was our game. That was Brad and Gary and, and the guys I've worked with, uh, mm. Gary particularly for 11 years. Um, but the production cast is the same. The producer, Craig Silver, the director, Steve Milton. Those are old, old, dear friends of mine. Uh, Craig and I go back to 1983 when we worked together for the first time. So uh, I did watch the start of LSU Ole Miss, but uh, Texas and, and Oklahoma State were um, on, contra- on a contrasting network. And uh, we have, we're in Austin right now. Uh, we live full-time in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, but we came down here. We've got a small condo in downtown Austin. And uh, my wife went to UT, and Austin is my hometown. It's where I got my first job. And, uh, and so we have an allegiance to the University of Texas. If, if any place, uh, I went to a small private liberal arts college, Texas Lutheran. And uh, so my, my major college allegiance would go to UT, I think. So uh, I saw I saw Brad and Gary come on the air, and I knew that the, the telecast was in good hands. And uh, so then we watched Texas. And then we had to miss uh, because we went to a, a concert last night. And so we had to miss the end. And uh, I was shocked when they got out of the music event to, to read that Texas had given up 17 fourth quarter points and, and lost. And that, Andrew, that is the nature of college football, you know, sure. and it's part of what, what makes it so attractive to so many people. Anyway. I think so too. I think you're exactly right. You know, you talked about, uh, talking about Austin, you know, I, I, I didn't really know, uh, till recently that you kind of started as a DJ. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, uh, my first job, well, first full-time job in radio television was in radio. I was hired uh, in Austin. Uh, I hate to tell you how many years ago, but uh, it's uh, like it's, it's an open book. Uh, I, I was hired here the summer of 1963, and I was hired as a summer replacement FM disc jockey. That's how I, that's how, that was my summer job. And a, a part of my background is that I grew up in the Lutheran minister's home and, and I graduated with a degree in 62 uh, with a, with a major in, in uh, history, sociology, I'm sorry, been that long. I can't remember what I majored in. <laughs> uh, a major in sociology and a minor in history and I had no earthly idea of what I wanted to do in my life. And uh, so I, I was comfortable in a Lutheran minister's home. And I thought, well, till I figure this out, I think I'll. So I went to theological school. I went to Lutheran seminary for one full year in Rock Island, Illinois. But I realized six weeks in, six weeks, that I didn't have the commitment 
uh, it, it requires a special kind of person. And I wasn't it. So I knew that I was not going to, but I've, I've committed to finishing one full year. Uh, and I did. I've got six hours of Greek in my background. It hadn't been particularly helpful uh, in, in my chosen craft. <laughs> but uh, so I started looking for a summer job. And Austin was my hometown. So I, I moved back here and uh, was living with my mom and dad. So the, the price was right. And I was 23 and single. And uh, while I was there that summer, uh, KTBC in Austin was the radio television station owned by uh, former President Lyndon Johnson and his wife, Lady Bird. Mm. And uh, I was hired by uh, a fellow, there's a local legend here. He just passed away about four years ago. His name was Cactus Pryor, Richard Cactus Pryor. And uh, he gave me the job as a summer replacement disc jockey, playing music to make out by on FM radio, which was no big deal back then. FM was not, you know. And so the sports director's job opened up. And I always, I was not a good athlete. But I learned that in an early age. And I learned that I could talk about it and write about it instead of doing it. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, that's a painful lesson for a lot of young boys. I know that. And it was for me uh, when I realized I didn't have any athletic talent. Uh, so you find different directions to express yourself. And uh, Anyway, I'd always been intrigued subliminally by a sports broadcasting job. And the August of that year, the sports job opened up. The guy who'd been had it for 10 years moved to Houston. And I went in to see my boss, Cactus Pryor. And uh, I said, I'd, I'd like to audition for that. And he said, you really would? I said, yeah, I'm curious about it. So uh there was no videotape of course my god and i did a, a, a not a, well it was a live audition of course yeah program director and the news director were sitting in the viewing area uh, one floor up looking down in the studio and they came down and cactus said you know it wasn't bad uh i'm not ready to put you on there monday through friday but i'll cut a deal with you um uh, you work as a disc jockey on AM radio from five to nine every evening. And uh, we'll start you out on weekends on, on television. So that was my deal, effective September of 63. And they did hire another guy and he, it didn't work out. They didn't care for him and he didn't care for them. And mm. So in March, uh, Cactus came to me and said, uh, you ready? And I said, yeah. So that was my first full-time job, March 1st, 64. Wow. And, and, and did you did you just have a natural instinct to to even the voice, you know, the you know Well I'm, yes, kind of, kind of. I've never Andrew, you you don't have it either, I bet. You don't have stage fright. Uh now, I did when I was younger. Okay, that's but fair. I, I don't now. No, 
and and to a degree that was the same thing. I mean, I had listened. I I got my voice. I was the lucky one. I was the oldest of five, and uh, we moved to Texas from Everett, Washington, now thirty miles north of Seattle. My dad took a church here. He his first church was in Everett, and I, as the oldest of five, my young speech habits patterns had been formed. And A, I got his pipes, and B, I never got the dreaded Texas twine. And that can be a killer if you're in radio television. You know, I, I tease my, my the brother who's close, I'm close to live here in Austin. Uh, Danny is six years younger than I. And by God, it'd take him three months to get a, a sentence out that I can do in <laughs> 20 seconds. Yeah. And I mean, he's got it. And uh, <laughs> so that can be detrimental if you're seeking. Uh, if, you, if you want to get to a national level, yeah. I guess that's my point. Yeah. And I, I didn't, that was not, never an issue for me. So, and then, you know, it, it's just a roller coaster from there on. And, I suppose, and yeah, hopefully equal out but you you did have a love for it just yeah i did uh as i said particularly sports broadcasting i i actually i was here three years and i loved austin but i was afraid uh not afraid my aspirations were always a little larger uh than austin because it was a small market back then uh now it's a metro area two million people but uh, it was very tiny and anyway uh, after three years I I suddenly thought you know what what you're doing is frivolous you're you're really wasting you need to find a, this was the old seminary and me talking right you need to find a purpose in your life uh-huh. <laughs> you got to do something worthwhile and and so I, I did leave sports for a, an, an 11 month period. I moved to San Antonio and uh, got a job with the NBC affiliate, and I anchored the six and 10 o'clock newscasts mm. and then filled in on a, a show called The Early Evening Report. And I was a panelist on that. And I just missed the latitude that you were given in sports. And so uh, I, I knew I was not destined for, for a news career. And I auditioned for a job in Dallas in sports. And on the third try, I won the audition. First time I lost it, another fellow named Dave Lane and I, he was in Temple, Texas, about 60 miles north of Austin. And I was in San Antonio, and uh, this is WFAA in Dallas, was still one of the great local television stations in, in America. And uh, they they hired a kid out of Lubbock, uh, a guy named Woody Van Dyke. Dave and I both lost the audition. Turns out that Woody Van Dyke's father-in-law was the chief engineer at WFAA. So... <laughs> <laughs> not that, not that nepotism, <laughs> not at all. 
But then he left after two years and took a job in New Orleans. And Dave and I both auditioned for it again. And Dave won that audition. And so I, th- I thought, I'm, I-, I don't like what I'm doing. Uh, I, what I, what's next? Well, Dave called me six months later. And we knew each other. Uh, this small market television back then. Yeah. And he called me and he said, Jeannie and I are expecting our first child. Uh, I'm not going to raise a child uh, by getting home at 11 o'clock at night. So I'm going to go into sales and I'm going to recommend that you be the guy. Mm. And so his magnanimous nature opened the door for me. And then I had to go back and re-audition in Dallas. Uh, and again, it was live. There was no videotape. Uh, it, that's just 67. Mm. <laughs> and, and, uh, I was making, I remember vividly now, uh, well, I was making $200 a week in San Antonio and the general manager of the television station in Austin was a guy named Mike Shapiro. And he called me in after a half an hour waiting in outside his office and said, okay, Lundquist, we're going to offer you the job. We're going to pay you $150 a week. And we want you to come in on Sundays and do a, a 15 minute sports wrap up show. And we'll pay you $15 for that. And I gussied up and put on my grip, best grimace. And I said, Mr. Shapiro, <laughs> normally for overtime, you pay time and a half. And you're offering me halftime. <laughs> I know I'm a sociology major, but even I can figure that out. And he said, he looked at me and, and didn't smile at all. He said, do you want the job or not? <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll work $15 for that Sunday 15-minute show. And anyway, and then, you know, things happen. And uh the, yeah, you were... the biggest break Andrew I got was the Cowboy Radio Network. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were the voice. Yeah. And that was during the Dallas Cowboys years, oh. man. Yeah. We uh, we uh, went to five Super Bowls. Mm. Uh, I did with them. Uh, I was watching the Fox pregame show here a while ago, and uh, Terry Bradshaw, and we're still close. Uh, I worked with Terry four years. And, and in the eighties and, uh, and he and I did a fundraiser for my alma mater together back in March. Anyway, uh, that was some kind of a a carnival ride working, working with Terry. Oh boy. (laughs) Just, you better fasten your seatbelt very tight, snug and tight to blow across your lap. (laughs) You will, you will encounter turbulence. I met him one time and uh, couldn't have been nicer. I think we talked about Mel Tillis. That's about ah. what we talked about. <laughs> did he sing? No, <laughs> he didn't sing. I met him uh, when he did it, doing his one man show. Thing. Oh, okay. Uh, they, we were on the trailer with him and uh, he's like, now y'all, Y'all ain't staying for the show. Please tell me, God, please, you're not staying for the show. I said, yeah, we're going to stay for the show. 
He's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, he's a nut, man. Oh, he is. It, it was really a, a ride. I mean, uh, and and you know, he's he said we were together for '84 and '85, and then for reasons, this is the way television works, especially at the network level, for reasons that were never explained to either one of us. They split us up. Now, we were the seventh team on a seven-team rotation. You know, Pat and John were number one, and, and uh, Summerall and Madden. Uh, Terry and I were de- deservedly, because we were brand new together. Mm-hmm. But then they split us up for two years, uh, 86 and 87. Never explained why. Uh, Terry worked with a guy named Tim Ryan. Uh, I was with Pat Hayden and then with Dick Vermeil for those two years. And then all of a sudden they put us back together in 88 and magically, magically we had improved and we were now the number two team and we were behind Pat and John and uh, we got a playoff game. And that's always a big, uh, big nod of recognition by your spirits. Uh, we did two of them, as a matter of fact. And then Terry called me one day. We were we were making a presentation on behalf of CBS at the NFL owners meeting, and we're driving to the event somewhere in Florida. And uh, he said, "Bubba, I, I think I'm going to ask to go to the studio." And uh, I, I told him, with in all sincerity. I said, Terry, I think your 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 presentation, not your act, your presentation will go down much more palatably to a viewing audience because they can see you gesture. Yeah. They don't see that until and it, it was driving Terry Bradshaw nuts that as long as John Madden was in that number one seat, he knew he never would be. Mm. That's how you win four Super Bowls. You know, he was that driven and that much of a competitor. And and look what happened. I mean, he was with Greg Gumbel in the studio until Fox got the NFL in 94, took the rights away from CBS, outbid uh, CBS. And that was in 94? 94. Wow, I didn't know it had yeah. been that long. Uh, I, I was working with Dan Fouts then. Terry was in the studio. And we were doing a Cowboys-Jets Saturday game Mm. in East Rutherford. So Dan and I and our producer, Mike Burks, who's uh, with Fox now, uh, were sitting, and the rest of the production team, we were sitting around (laughs) waiting for Jimmy Johnson, the Cowboys coach, to come and do our normal uh, visitors meeting. And we were at the Hilton Hotel in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And we just got the call from New York. And they said, after 38 years, 39, whatever it was, uh, we have lost the rights to Fox for the NFL. And we're just stunned. stunned. And Jimmy walks in, little Banny Rooster. Uh, He's the one coach in the NFL that I'm taller of. Taller than (laughs) (laughs) I said, what's going on, boy? You look like you've seen ghosts. And Dan said, 
Jimmy, we just learned that we've lost the NFL after 39 years, I think it was. And Jimmy looked at us in that little Benny Rooster way of his, and he said, it's a tough effing business, boys, no matter which side of the ball you're on. <laughs> okay. All righty. <laughs> yeah. And then the exodus began. You know, a lot of guys, uh, Pat and John went to Fox. Terry went to Fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was approached, but I I had been sitting behind Pat for by then eight, nine, ten years. And, well, six, I guess. Uh, I'm exaggerating. Uh, not on purpose. Lack of memory. And, uh, but, but, uh, they asked me to come out uh, as the number two guy behind Summerall. Mm. And this is when Pat was in the midst of his well-known, well-chronicled battles with alcohol. Uh-huh. And I had had my life disrupted too many times when Pat would go down and I'd get the call. And so I thought, no, I'm just not going to do that. And yeah. so I I elected to stay and turned out to be the best thing ever. And that was at CBS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I started at network, uh, because of the cowboy game, uh, cowboy radio job. Uh, matter of fact, I'm really go way back, uh, to the early seventies. Uh, I started as a pre and post game guy with the radio network, uh, and then a fellow named Blackie Sherrod, who was one of the best sports columnists I've ever read in my life, uh, was with the, both the Dallas Times-Herald and then the Dallas Morning News. Blackie was the color guy, and the play-by-play fellow was a guy named Bill Mercer. And Bill is 96 and still living. Uh, I haven't heard from him in a while, but uh, he's... he's uh, Bright guy, wow! And Bill took a job with the uh, with the Texas Rangers when they moved from Washington D.C. He uh, had always wanted to be Major League Baseball, so Bill accepted that, and that opened up the play-by-play job. Yeah. And uh, Tex Schramm called me into his office, and and he explained that Bill was leaving and the job was open, and. Uh, he was going to promote me to the job. And I said, Tex, I'm thrilled beyond my ability to express, but you are aware that I've never done play by play. And he said, I'm quite aware of it, but I also believe you can do it or I wouldn't choose you to be in this spot. So that's how I got a, my first ever football play by play job was because of Tex Rams faith in, in my ability as a total novice uh, to do the job. And the first game I ever did was they used to do the old college all-stars against the defending Super Bowl champions. And this was in 74. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, the college all-stars against the Cowboys. 73rd, anyway. <laughs> Like I said, seventy something. Yeah, seventy something. <laughs> it was back then, almost fifty years ago. Uh, and anyway, uh, that and Tex said I had I had a I had a an offer 
to move from Dallas-Fort Worth to Los Angeles to become a sports anchor at KNXT and the CBS Ono in L.A. And and I was, uh, you know, that was tempting. I mean, Hollywood and lifestyle and all that sort of thing. I do remember that my when I flew out there for an audition and uh, – uh, we had we had lunch at the Beverly Hills Country Club, and mm. sitting at an adjacent table, George Burns and Jack Benny. And wow. now, you know, your younger audience is going to go, who? Yeah. But they were giants of comedy back then. And and uh, uh, I thought I could really get used to this. And so I verbally accepted the offer and <clears throat> doubled the salary. And I flew back from LA and, and hopped on one brand of airlines. And you got to be an ancient old coot to remember brand of, but uh, the Cowboys flew brand of charter. So I got off one brand of flight, went down the end of the concourse, hopped on the charter, going to LA and told Tex that I had this offer to go to LA. And he said, have you signed anything? And I said, no, but I've got the contract in my hand. He said, don't sign anything. Now, now I'm remembering the the, uh, the sequence of events. He said, don't sign anything uh, until we get back from the Super Bowl. And that, they won that Super Bowl over Miami. We had a four-hour lunch, Dex Ram and I did, and that is when he offered me the job. Mm. And I said, well, what if I took the job in L.A. <laughs> and, and flew, flew back on the weekends? He said, not on your life, <laughs> buddy. He said, I want you on Channel 8 television, 6 and 10 every night, because I, I want that subliminal connection with people watching you on local television and associating you with the Cowboys. Mm. And he, I mean, that he was just, oh. What what a smart man he was. So, Why do you think he was so – what do you think he's seen in you at that I, time? I, I don't know. Uh, uh, that's, that's a heck of a question. Uh, he had some subjective awareness. Uh, I, 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 I had known him then because I moved there in 67, and this would have been – uh, in the seventies, as we agreed to say, uh, and and I think he he saw me at work on the on the local television set. We had a phenomenally successful news operation at the ABC affiliate, WFAA, and and uh, at one point we doubled the audience of both the CBS and NBC affiliates combined. We wow. were that dominant. So he saw me as a part of the the most dominant newscast in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And I was just one quarter of it, you know. Uh, but our news director, the late Marty Haig, was the best boss I've ever had in any uh, relationship I've had with, with uh, an organization. And I was there, as I said, for 17 years. And... Uh, Andrew, I, I, I started with the Cowboys in 67. Uh, Brad Sham came aboard in 76. 
and he and I worked together for the next seven years. Uh, I was the play-by-play, -play and he was the analyst, uh, color guy, really. Uh -huh. uh, and and uh, uh, that's my phone. <laughs> Not sure what's going. <laughs> you got a cat, and I got a phone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and anyway, uh, I think Tex saw. Well, let me let me be a little ostentatious here. And, and there's something about a television camera, a lens, and I don't, I can't understand it. It's really kind of mystical. But it's been my experience that the person you see in your living room is going to be the person you perceive that human being to be 90% of the time. There's something that happens. Uh, between the lens and your television set that grabs the essence. And this, this is kind of woo-woo. And I don't think there's any way to prove it. But in my experience, something happens between that lens and the viewer and, then, and the person it's portraying that reaches in and kind of grabs the essence. Sure. And I, I swear to God, it's been my experience because I've, I've known so many people who are in this business. It's been my life, you know, for 60-some years. And uh, uh, there's something that happens, <clears throat> and your perception of who that person is, that's going to be proven correct 80 for 90% of the time. If you think the guy's a jackass, chances are he's a jackass. Yeah. And if you think you'd like to have a drink with him, chances are you really would. Yeah. So like, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. You know, I felt that way about people. Uh-huh. Uh, just, you don't even know why, you know, especially growing up, uh, seeing these folks on TV, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's like a mystical thing. Isn't it? Yeah. It is. That's interesting. It really is. Well, and I and and I guess to go back to your original question to the premise, what did Tex see in me? Uh, I think he saw a person he thought had credibility that had, and this is so self-aggrandizing. I don't mean to be that way, but I think he saw a person. Uh, with whom people could feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I'm, I'm being a little about myself in the back here, and I don't mean to do that. Uh, but yeah. it's, a, it's a heck of a legitimate question about what, what did Tech see? And I, I thought he saw a guy that is essentially comfortable in his own skin essentially that well you were there for a long time Ooh. long time yeah well the think about i mentioned brad a while ago uh i, I started in 67 brad is still going mm. uh that's that's two guys on cowboy radio from 67 to 2022 amazing isn't it though really it, is and and in, in in local television, 
I started again at Channel 8 in Dallas-Fort Worth in 1967. In 83, they brought aboard a guy named Dale Hansen, uh, and Dale just retired. So mm-hmm. in, in Channel WFAA-TV in Dallas has had two sports directors from 67 to 2021. And that's, I don't know where you could find that anywhere else in the country. That's so, gotta be unheard of. Yeah, yeah. it really, it really is. And, and Dale, uh, he's, we're such different personalities, but he's a man of courage. I'll tell you this. He, uh, <clears throat> he had a sports show that I think a lot of local stations do it now that ran 15, 20 minutes on Sunday night. And he would take stands uh, uh, that were socially unpopular. Uh, I mean, I, I remember uh, I, I was happened to be in Dallas on some kind of a visit and was staying in a hotel and watched Dale on, a, uh, on his Sunday night show. And Missouri had a linebacker named Michael Sams who uh, had just come out as, as a gay person. And he was getting vitriol from all, particularly in the SEC. You know, it just, it's, it's lifestyle. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Dale took to his defense. And I thought, Dale, you showed me some courage uh, to do that because Dallas Fort Worth is not uh, the essence of liberalism. Uh, right. And, and, and anyway, Dale, we, we were light years apart in personality light years. Uh, but I admired the work he did. I really, really did. Uh, we, we, we didn't, uh, we didn't see eye to eye on some personal issues. Uh, not, not that one, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm trying to couch the potato here a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pick, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think we ever had a drink together. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You uh, know, I'll, I'll just, we can jump around on here, like I said. So uh, I'm just, you know, thinking about things about Austin. Since you were there kind of before, uh, I'd say pre-Willie and post-Willie. Yes. How did yeah. you see that change, or was you ever a part of that movement with him and Jerry Jeff? And uh, oh, I got so many stories. Wow, uh, I'll bet you, I, I you got in, in doing what you do for a living. Uh, one of my best friends in music is Ray Benson. Oh, We're, asleep at the wheel, absolutely. Asleep at the wheel, yeah. We're dear, dear friends. As a matter of fact, he's home. He's off the road now. Uh, and we're going to have dinner together here in the next two weeks. Well, we're going to be in Austin until December 6th. And Ray and I played each other at the at a golf tournament in Houston at the Woodlands, Andrew, in 1982. And, I'd love to have a picture of what both of y'all <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, Houston in in August. Well, this was in June. It's still, that, it doesn't matter. The humidity is always 90%. Yeah. And it's just the muggiest place in the world. <laughs> and this was at a golf event called the Daryl and Willie. 
and it was Coach Royal and Willie Nelson who yeah. were fast friends. Yeah. And and uh, uh, the thing I loved about it, and Ray, anyway, Ray was there to play, and we repaired together. And he swears he still has the photograph. I don't. <laughs> of the, you know, the usual Pro-Am team photo. And yeah. Ray, Ray was wearing go- white golf shoes with white socks and short white shorts. I mean, they were, they were crotch grabbers. I mean, and he's six, seven. Yeah, and he's, he's got a big beard guy. down to here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear God. But we, 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 and I love this event because it was Daryl and Willie and, and, and uh, Willie, uh, he invited all of his friends in there. Good mm-hmm. gosh. Almighty. And because they would all do picking sessions, uh, in their separate hotel rooms that went on till two, three, four in the morning. Uh, I saw your, your son, the Gillies beer can. Oh, Mickey Gilly played there. Uh, and a- anyway, because of those sessions and you'd hear all the, Oh my gosh, great. Uh, songwriters as well as song as singers. Yeah. They didn't start the golf tournament until one o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a charity golf tournament that didn't, you didn't? You always got to tee off at eight, yeah. <laughs> and so you drag yourself the first tee and think, "Where am I?" <laughs> Not this one. Oh gosh! And that lasted for about four years, and uh, we we just treasured that. And Coach Royal is one of my two heroes. I. Having gotten my start in Austin, it was when he was head coach at the University of Texas. And uh, we were the only station here that at that time. LBJ and Lady Bird owned the station, and nobody ever got uh, a competitive license from the FCC when he was when he was in charge. Uh, and 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 Daryl. Daryl did uh, his weekly coaches show with with a guy who had hired me for the job, and uh, I got to know Coach because this was the only Texas was the only show in town, and uh, we just grew close together. I I got to work with him one year at ABC, and uh, matter of fact, we we watched the first part of the Oklahoma State Texas game yesterday. I was telling Nancy, my wife. Uh, I did one game at Oklahoma State, and that was in 1980 with Coach Royal as my sidekick. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, I, got to, I got to work with him for one year, uh, and I, I just loved the guy, uh, having covered him and then become friends with him. He, he did – we were doing a game somewhere – uh, on a Saturday, and we were flying back. Gosh, it, Bowie, I know, I know where it was. Another garden spot, Manhattan, Kansas, mm. which is about as far removed from a larger Manhattan as you can get. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> and uh, the Cowboys had a Monday night game, and so Daryl and I are flying back uh, to Dallas, Fort Worth, and then he's going. Uh, that's where we were living. And we were going to switch. He was going to switch planes and, and fly home to Austin. And he lived here in Austin on, on the Onion Creek Country Club. 
And he said, I know you play. You got a Monday night game. What are you guys doing tomorrow? And I said, we got no plans at all. He said, good. Then you're going to, you're going to get on an airplane in the morning and you're going to fly to Austin. Edith and I are going to pick you up and uh, you're going to come spend spend, uh, Saturday and Sunday night with us. And Sunday afternoon, we're going to go out and play Willie's golf course. And Willie had it is on the Pertinalis River, about 40 miles from, from downtown Austin. And we went out there and, and uh, good gosh almighty, what a great weekend. Uh, we went to a place with the ironic name of Mona's Yacht Club. <laughs> it was this dive on the Pertinalis River. And Daryl and Edith, his wife, who's still living, and Nancy and I went in there, and there's a songwriter. He's long gone now, but a guy named Floyd Tillman. Mm-hmm. He was holding court with a guitar in the corner, and the four of us sat down, listened to Floyd Tillman. And then that afternoon, we had gone out, and Willie had just come in from Finland, where he was filming uh, 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 a movie called Barbarossa. And so he got there in time to say hello to us. Now he was dead tired. So he well, wasn't going to play golf. I said, Willie, what's par for this course? He said, it's par as whatever I say it is. <laughs> he said, yesterday I shot 45. I was one under par for the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear God. Willie just makes up his own rules as he goes. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. In every aspect of life and yeah. business and you name it. He's, well, he's one of a kind. Andrew, we're, 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 uh, we're right downtown Austin. Matter of fact, I'm looking out West right now, uh, from we're in a high rise condo and we're not uh, two blocks away from where they tape or do live Austin city. Limits. Yeah. Right on Willie Willie Nelson Boulevard, yeah, which is otherwise known as Second Street. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever come across uh, Guy Clark or Towns Van Zandt or Blaze Foley? Any of no. those guys? No, I know the names, but I no, I didn't. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of those guys who who played it to Daryl and Willie. Uh, There's no. no telling. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. The guy that wrote Delta Dawn, Alex Harvey. Mm-hmm. Did you know him or know uh, know him? I know uh, of him. I've never I've never met him. Okay. okay. Well, he here's another association I've got with country music. Uh, Tanya Tucker. Uh, he wrote Delta Dawn for Tanya Tucker, and she recorded that. I think she was fourteen. Yeah, thirteen or fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And and then and she came to Steamboat a couple of times and played, and uh, <laughs> uh, I got to know her pretty well. And uh, she is a vivid description of a wild child. Yes. Holy cow! And then one year when I was still doing all of our golf instead of doing just uh, the Masters, we were doing the Pebble Beach, and she and Glenn Campbell had just broken up. Mm. And that was torturous. And we sat in the, in the lobby at the bar 
of the um, Pebble Beach Club or whatever it's called. Uh, and Glenn Campbell got into his cups and and was going on. And I thought Nancy and I were going to take him to bed, uh, you know, and put him to bed because he was just moaning and groaning and groaning about Tanya and how she'd done, done him wrong. And, uh, oh. Yeah, that was kind of a big, a big Woo. story back then. And of course, you know, that don't help. That don't help things. Cause these are, these are people, man. It's you bet. that, that yeah. makes it worse. But when you're in the spotlight, you you don't have any privacy whatsoever. Uh, right. You, you kind of sign up for that, I guess. Yeah, you know? that's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I seen a clip one day. Uh, I think it's when you was able with on ABC interviewing, uh, Bear Bryant on the sideline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he said, oh, we're playing like we're afraid we're going to hurt somebody. And you're like, thank you, coach. <laughs> that's, you got a great memory. Uh, Yeah. That was that was in eighty one, uh, and I was still at ABC. I I had not yet gotten the dread call of we're going to move in a different direction, but it was coming, and that was the eighty one Iron Bowl, and Bear was Bear was uh, going after his three hundred and twelfth victory in that game, and this was when uh, uh, the. Amos Alonzo Stagg, one of the legendary coaches in the early 20th century. <coughs> he had the record. And two things, two memories come, come out. They signed me to sidelines. And they wanted somebody, uh, Steve Davis, who was a, another former partner of mine. Uh, Steve was no U quarterback. Uh, we lost him tragically in a private jet crash about seven years ago but mm-hmm. they had steve on but he was not he was an all-american quarterback at ou but he wasn't an accomplished radio television guy at the time so chuck howard the executive producer at abc called me and said we want you to go and do the interview uh, with coach bryant if he wins and uh, uh keith jackson and frank Broyles were upstairs and i was the sideline guy and uh, two things about that. First of all, the, they were trailing Pat Dye and Auburn at the half. And uh, Bear came out. And that picture that you're talking about, uh, some Birmingham News Herald guy, uh, photographer, took the picture and then sent it to me. And I got cheeky and I thought, well, I'll send this to Coach Bryant's office through his sports information director. And by golly, he got it and signed it and returned it to me. And I treasure that photo. So at halftime, he's coming out and they're training. And the photo is of me talking to coach, telling him, coach, uh, we, we need to stop and do this halftime interview. And he said, son, they're about to kick off. <laughs> I can't get as low as he did. Yeah. And I said, coach, trust me on this. They're, they're not going to kick off until we do this interview. <laughs> well, all right, be quick about it. So that's the photograph. And then uh, by rehearsal, uh, they had had me go under the north stands at Legion Field in Birmingham. And by now, it's, it, 
sun had set and it was getting dark. <clears throat> and with two minutes to go in the game, uh, the uh, Alabama had come back and then they're not comfortably in the lead. So I head down there with security and to get me stationed. And the camera guys went with me and now it's almost total darkness. And uh, Chuck Howard, who was producing the game, said, Bernie, are you there? And I said, yes. He said, is your camera guy there? And I said, yes, he is. And he said, well, I can't see you. I said, well, there's no light guy here. And he said, what? I said, there is no lighting technician here to light this. And he said, oh, my God, he's stronger than that. And meanwhile, I can now hear the clumping of feet as Bryant and his security is coming through and they're approaching. And Chuck said, is Coach Bryant there yet? I said, he's on the way. I can vaguely make out his, his. and he said, where's the GD lighting technician? I said, Chuck, I don't know. He's not here. And he got very vivid in his language. And it was just going to my headset. Mm -hmm. something about we pay 19 million dollars a year for this effing thing and we can't get an effing technician there to light the effing scene and my, now coach Ryan walked up and he said you ready <laughs> so I've got videotape of it the entire post game interview took place in complete darkness oh man what a nightmare yeah uh, was that the first time you had uh, come across Coach Brian or met I him? I believe it was. Yes, uh, I believe I, I, I'm. I'm quite certain it was. And then he died. They, they made it to the Liberty Bowl, and he died the next year. Uh, yeah. But I mean, he was a legend. I mean, and now Saban is, you know, oh. encroaching. Uh, yeah, it's. Unbelievable. It, isn't I, it though? You know, I mean, Bear Bryant to an Alabama fan when I was growing up could never be matched. That was always going to be the legacy, no matter what. Yeah. And what Nick Saban has done is just unbelievable. Off the charts. Off the charts. Well, I do a I do a Wednesday Zoom call with a, a group of people that I call SEC reprobates. Uh, and, and there are about 12, 13 of us that get on every Wednesday, uh, almost all retired. Uh, well, no, 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 that's not quite true. Uh, we got four people from Auburn, uh, including the associate athletic director. Uh, and anyway, David Housel from Auburn. Uh, Eli Gold uh, is, is part of it. Uh, Love Eli. Oh, uh, me too. We're dear, dear, dear friends. Is how is he? Uh, he's still struggling. Uh, he's That's what I heard. Yeah, he's got some health problems. Uh, I I check on him every week. Not not in touch with him, but through through others yeah. who are closer to him than I am. But uh, I'll tell you a quick Eli story. Uh, <laughs> Eli. Eli is a large economy version of me. Uh, he's a huge man, and I'm growing increasingly larger. But I'm 5'9", he's about 6'2". And 
years and years and years ago. We were doing a game uh, in Tuscaloosa. Eli lives in Birmingham, so he's made that. He could do it blindfolded. That trip down I-20. We're at Chuck's Cafe in downtown Tuscaloosa. And it's our usual group. Uh, at that time, it was Gary Danielson, Tracy Wilson. Uh, Wilson was our sideline reporter. Our producer, Craig Silver, director, Steve Melton. We're all having dinner. And some guy who had really had way too much to drink came over and, and interrupted at the table and leaned in. He said, Eli, I don't mean to bother you, but I sure love you. And I said, thank you very much. Just let it go. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're going to pay the bill. So the waitress comes, a food server, and hands us the bill. Our producer picked it up, God love him. And uh, the guy comes back. He said, Eli, I just really think you're wonderful. I said, thank you. No, appreciate it. <laughs> let it go. Now we're going out, and the, the manager of Chuck's, asked the, the group to pose and he's got a wall of, of folks that are recognizable uh, they, and he wanted to add our portrait so I'm proposing for the picture and a guy comes in he tugs at my coat and he said Eli and I said look pal I am not Eli and he looked at me and he said well you should be <laughs> so Eli, Eli's got a great sense of humor and <laughs> And he is a large man. And he sent this. I've got two T-shirts in our home in Steamboat Spring of, of this quadruple X. And, and it's got, check the box, Eli Vern. <laughs> photographs of each of us. And then you got to check which one is Vern, which one is Eli. And because, you know, uh, I can I can see a vague resemblance. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I've never really thought about that, but it, you, no, y'all do have a similar look. Uh, yeah, it's not identical, but it's similar. Oh, similar is a good word. Uh, if you really have too much to drink, especially. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, he should be. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I hope you told him about that. Oh yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh man, the. uh uh, you you did the uh, Olympics, even for God's yeah. sakes, uh-huh. uh, Tanya Harding and all that crazy press stuff going on with them. Uh, that, that was probably yeah. Crazy I, I did. Uh, well, there's a little background, uh, not only on that one. We did three, and uh, again, we were at Pebble Beach. Uh, John Madden was hosting a. It, John was too too big for a seminar. This was a symposium. Well, mm. give me a break. But Symposium. He, yeah. He had the clout to do it. And it was a, a three-day event over a long weekend, obviously. And we stayed at the Pebble Beach Hotel, or the main main one, and played golf in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we'd get together for the symposium. And we had a stenographer there. And we'd all lie to each other about, well, how do you spend your Monday? Well, on Monday, I read and write and memorize it. How do you, on Tuesday, and each of us had manufactured excuses for how we spent the week, right? The, yeah. the bullshit was amazing. Uh, I can imagine. 
Oh, brother. And you, and you say the word symposium and that's, yeah, that's, that, that's, you got it. Uh, so anyway, while we're there, I get a call from New York. Uh, and I guess others in the group did too, but they said, we got the rights to the next three Olympic winter Olympic games. Well, I live in a ski resort full time. And I thought, oh, great. You know, uh, Billy Kidd, uh, who's a legendary skier in North America, was our director of skiing. He, he's just retired. And uh, so I knew Billy, and I thought he was our, our on-the-air guy. Naturally, given where I live, I'll do the Alpine events. And then he called and said, uh, we got the assignments for the Olympics. You're doing figure skating. And I went orbital. Yeah. I thought, oh, dear God. Uh, and Nancy saw me go orbital. I was descending in under a parachute in the ocean. <laughs> and she said, calm down, calm down. You love music of all kinds. And, and, and you love athletics, athleticism. She said, you're going to be just fine. And I worked with Scott Hamilton, who remains a dear friend of mine. And, uh, we did three, uh, we did Alberville, France in 92. Tanya and Nancy in 94, and then Nagano, Japan in uh, 98. Uh, and the most memorable, obviously, is Tanya and Nancy. It, it was a cartoon show come to life. Uh, and uh, there was a movie called I, Tanya. It came out about, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I was asked if I saw it, and I did. Uh, Margot Robbie, I think was her name, won an Academy Award for uh, her. And, and, and I was asked by reaction. I said, well, knowing the principal, uh, I felt it was over-sympathetic, overly sympathetic to Tanya Harding. I, yes, she had a terrible upbringing, uh, but she was, a, she was a thug, really, and she hired thugs. Uh, she she herself was not a thug. That that's too strong a word. But her ex husband certainly was, and uh, he's he's the guy that hired the three, including this clown named Jane Stant, uh, and the, the expressed contempt intent uh, of the crowbar across the thigh was to break her leg. Yeah. Uh, um, and Tanya Tanya could skate. I mean, she was athletic. She wasn't that very graceful. But she was she finished fourth behind Kerrigan Kerr in '92. Uh, Christy Yamaguchi won the gold. Uh, this little gal from Japan named Midori Ito was second, and and uh, Nancy Kerrigan was third. Tanya was fourth. So we knew she had the ability, uh, and she she thought she had to get Kerrigan out of the way, and so they attacked Kerrigan and. The, night of January 6th in Detroit and then lawsuits ensued back and forth and she was kicked off the team. She filed, she won her case. She was put back on the team. Uh, and this buildup, they were on the cover, I don't know, 20 magazines, including all the biggies at the time. And, uh, when we finally got to uh, little Harbor, actually it was in Hamar, Norway, about 30 miles South Lilla Hammer. Uh, it was just this incredible scene. 
Wow. I can imagine. Yeah, and and, and I, I can vividly remember that Scott and Tracy Wilson, as opposed to Wolfson. Uh, Wilson was our our uh, third member of our commentary team. She was a, a wonderful person, a lady from Canada, and had won a bronze medal in her discipline, ice dance. Uh, the three of us were sitting in our little broadcast perch when the two women took the ice in the main Northern Lights Hall for the first time. And there were 400, at least 400 accredited writers who could get in. But CBS had exclusive North American rights or United States rights. Uh, and so we were the only uh, broadcasters who were, were involved in the arena. And so help me God, Andrew, at one point, we left almost tell you the names of the, the six different CBS news crews that were scattered around the ring. Martha Teichner, John Blackstone, Susan Spencer, Mark Phillips. Uh, I'm forgetting one. And then right below us was Connie Chung, who was co-anchoring the evening news with Dan Rather back in New York. And Scott was livid. And he said, uh, somebody has lost sight of the fact that these young men and women have, have earned the right to compete for a medal. And it's, they're, they're almost sideshows compared yeah. to the main event. And he was just beside himself with anger. And then, you know, the Wednesday night event came and Tanya finished about where Scott thought he was. Kerrigan was leading. Oksana Bayul, this little sprite from Ukraine, was in second. And Tanya was eighth. And uh, and then the, our boss, Neil Pilson, saw us at practice the next morning. He said, did you hear about the overnights? No, we hadn't. What? He said, well, the, the initial rating was 48.5 rating, which means 48.5% of every television set in the United States was tuned to the event. And the estimated audience was 126 million people. Mm. So hype works. And uh, the numbers were down from Friday night, but that's when uh, Tanya Scott said off camera, she's hijacked the Olympics. That's when her boot lace broke. Uh, And uh, uh, yeah. The 90s was kind of a different time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OJ stuff. And yep, you're right. Is, uh, I don't know. It's, it's almost like, uh, all these kind of news stories. I never, for the life of me, understood why the damn helicopter with the camera was following the Bronco. Yeah. It was almost like a, it was almost like a show. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, it sure was. It sure was. Uh, you know, I don't know the nineties. I feel like pop culture kind of became a thing in the nineties. Well, tabloid television did, didn't it? I think absolutely inside edition and entertainment tonight. And yeah, uh, the advent of Bill O'Reilly. I mean, it's, you know, and I know you work for Turner for a few years, but my God, what Ted Turner did. Oh, 
is unbelievable. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I took the money. <laughs> yeah. Uh I stayed with CBS rather than go to Fox. And uh <clears throat> took a hell of a salary cut really in 95 when we lost the NFL, but I just they had given me my break and I was going to yeah. And then Mike Pearl, who had been the executive producer, one of at CBS, took the job at Turner. And Mike was the executive producer. And he called me, uh, why don't you think about coming over here? So initially, I was there to do the NBA game of the week on Thursday night. Uh, and then Sunday night, they had half the NFL schedule. So my my three basketball partners in the three years I was there, uh, Chuck Daly, Danny Ainge with the Celtics, now the Utah Jazz, and Doc Rivers, coach of the 76ers. My basketball partner, or my football partner, rather, was Pat Hayden. Uh, and Pat's one of the better guys I've ever known in my life. And But then uh, CBS reacquired the rights. <laughs> <clears throat> to the NFL, and we're in Nagano, Japan, uh, for the Olympic Games in '98, and we're standing in the in the uh, broadcast area that we had. And during an ice break, they call, when they bring the Zambonis out, uh, we had a 15 minute break, and my boss Sean McManus uh, and his sidekick Tony Petitti walked into the booth and said, uh, he looked at me and he said are you ready to come back home? And after I got down on my knees and kissed his shoes, <laughs> and thanked him profusely. Uh, uh, yeah. So then I came back in 98 and worked with Randy Cross the first year and, and uh, Dan Deerdorf in 99. Uh, and then I got the fateful call and said, Sean said, uh, we're going to move you to the NFL. I mean, to, to the SEC. SEC. And that that really, at, at, at that point, it changed my life. I mean. Uh, well, you know, while you were there at Turner, those years that you were there, the short time you was there, do you remember how big pro wrestling got on Turner's networks? I do, yeah. WCW was like yeah. insane. Yeah. Did, did you ever do any of the Cable Ace Award shows or anything no, like that? No, no, no. Okay. No, I, uh, no, not at all. Now I worked with Ernie Johnson, uh, and, and, uh, consider him a very close friend still. And of course, Ernie and Barkley and Kenny and, and, uh, Shaq redefined the sports hosting shows. I mean, that's the best thing. They won Emmy after Emmy after Emmy after Emmy as they should. Yeah. But no, I, I had no association with, with any of the award shows. Yeah. The, uh, the, it was in the year 2000, right? When you uh, went to SEC. Yeah. Uh -huh. CBS. Yeah. I got a call. Rumors start floating around that, uh, that they were going to go after Dick Edinburgh. Uh, at NBC, and I knew from Pat Hayden. Pat was doing. Pat had gone to NBC and was doing Notre Dame games with Dick, and we were at a Kentucky Derby, one and only time we've been. 
and uh, uh, Pat was there. Dick was Dick was there. Dick Enberg was, and uh, we have we were in a, a private party and under a tent, and we were dancing. Nancy and I. One of the rare times she got me up out of the chair to to whirl around the dance floor because I got two left feet, and and, and Dick Enberg came. He and his wife Barbara uh, scooted by, and I said, uh, "I think you're doing a great job of doing an Notre Dame dance with Pat." And he looked at me disgruntled. He said, "Well, it's not the NFL. I'll guarantee you that." And I thought, "Oh," uh, and then. Sean McManus called me and he said, uh, uh, though I heard a rumor that, that they were going after Enberg and I called Sean, he called me back and he said, no, 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 I don't, I can't imagine. He's such a high ticket guy. He's been 35 years at NBC. And then he paused and said, now in the unlikely event that we hired Dick Enberg, how would you feel about going to the SEC? And I said the appropriate things, and I hung up the phone. I looked at Nancy, and I said, honey, pack our bags for Tuscaloosa. And sure enough, it happened. And uh, sure enough, it, it was the greatest assignment of my career. I mean, to, to be a part uh, of, of the rise of the dominance of this conference, yeah. uh, just extraordinary. And they're, in my view, I've, I've got a jaundiced view of it, but they're so far ahead of every other conference in the country. And I hate that we're we're going to give it up. Uh, no, ESPN just had more money than we did. And uh, so we're walking away in 2023 after the after yeah. next season. And I hate that. But Yeah, I do too. It's a, it's a tradition, Yeah, you know. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And, and I like the broadcast uh, from the truck, from the production truck standpoint. I like the CBS broadcast better than I do ESPN. Oh, I do, too. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I just uh, I, I'm loyal to our guys, except when Texas is playing Oklahoma State. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I got to tell you, share a story with you. <clears throat> Gary and I are still in touch. And uh, we're good friends. Um, and he called me about four years ago. I'd been gone a couple of years. And he said, so how are you spending Saturday afternoons? And I said, well, Gary, Nance and I are now with, joined at the hip with millions of other Americans. Uh, we wait for that theme music to come on. We wait for the sound guy to pot it down, crack open your mics, and you and Brad come on. Then we put our feet up on the coffee table, fixing a nice iced tea, and we start criticizing the hell out of you. <laughs> My Why turn. You, shut up. Shut up, for God's sake. <laughs> but, you know, that that's you, you've got to know, you know, all that criticizing, all the stupid shit on social media, the memes, the uh, oh. Uncle Gary, you know, all this stuff. It's because it's it's like – you know, they they love to hate y'all for some oh, reason. Oh, oh, it's not like they hate y'all. It's like I wanna. This is fun. Like I've, I gotta have them in my life so I can 
You know what I mean? Like they, oh, it's, do I ever? And it's the anonymity that drives me nuts. Uh, yeah. The the hiding behind them and, and, and yeah, you know, no name. Uh, that drives me crazy. And I, I made the sad mistake years ago. I, I'm not. I promise you, I am not on social media. Uh, just because you got to be exposed to that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And so. I don't have a Twitter account. I've made it this far in my life. And, and uh, I, I did one time, oh, Gary called me once uh, and we were working together still. And he said, have you listened to Paul Feinbaum today? And I said, no, I don't have it on. I, I know Paul. And I think he's one of the better talk show guys in, in sports television. Yeah. But he said, they're killing you on the fine bomb show me. And you know why? Because I had misidentified an Alabama player and I'd got his name wrong. And I did. Uh, it just, I got something stuck up here, but I mean, the name calling and the vitriol was just horrendous. And I thought I, I just can't expose myself to that. I know it's out there, uh, but my my exposure is a lot, lot less than it was in 2016. <laughs> you know. Yeah. What's the old uh, What's the old saying? You know. Uh, you know if they're if they're talking about you, you know you're doing something right or something like yeah. that. You know you're at least you're in the arena. You know. Yeah. They're, they're not. They're not. Yeah. There. I know there are a couple of bromides about that. Yeah. You're, I'll tell you, you're much better off staying off of social media. Oh, yeah. I know that. Uh, I just decided uh, as a public person, your exposure is so great. Uh, yeah. That, and there are people who just love to hate. Yeah. And uh, that's their purpose in life almost. So, no thank you. Yeah. That's some miserable, miserable oh. human beings if you want to. I loosely say human beings. Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Uh, the, uh, how did the happy Gilmore thing come about? <laughs> Cause I know, especially probably people my age, I'm 37 right now, okay. almost 38. That's a lot of people know you from that too. Oh gosh. More than you can imagine. Yeah. And I, I only, only slightly facetiously say, well, no, it's not even facetious. It is the gift that keeps on giving because it's connected me across two and sometimes now three generations uh, because it's so popular with young people. Um, and every generation that comes up, it seems to be passed down. Uh, we taped that in 1996 and filmed it uh, in in Vancouver. Uh up near Whistler, uh, I got a call from my agent, Bob Rosen, and he said, uh, there, there's, a, there's a part in this movie starring Adam Sandler, and uh, I've gotten you a, 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 a you're, you're the guy that they want to use. Well, okay. So I flew to, I flew to Vancouver on a, I don't remember now what day of the week. Uh, the next morning they picked me up uh, at the hotel and took me to the site. Now where we, they shot all of the, of the actual golf 
scenes on the, this golf course in Whistler. My scenes were shot in Vancouver. They had rented an empty hospital. Uh, and and in the backyard, they'd set up a golf set. Golf set. Um, the director was a guy named Dennis Dugan, who also played in the movie. He played the PGA chair. Uh, yeah. uh, and Sandler was there, of course. And, and uh, uh, I showed up at seven in the morning. They had took me to make up, you know, the whole bit. Mm-hmm. I there with my name on it. I thought, well, this is a nice way to live. Holy <laughs> cow. And, and then uh, the director said uh, to this really handsome guy that was standing on the fringe of the, of the group, he said, Jack, his name was Jack Jaraputo. He said, let's do an inside joke just for us. And nobody else in the world will know what it's all about. But I want you to go over there, makeup and hair, and get a coat and a, and a nice uh, shirt and tie. And you're going to sit next to Vernon in every scene. But you can't say a word because you're not a member of the Screen Actors Guild. <laughs> so that's Jack who sits there and just nods. <laughs> turns out that Jack Jarputo was Adam Sandler's roommate at New York University Film School. Oh, wow. That's why he was there. And uh, subsequently, I've seen Jack's name as executive producer, a lot of Adam Sandler's films, but uh, they hired 400 extras and they, they set the set up, uh, whatever they call it, golf, there's a takeoff on the golf network. And that's where, you know, uh, the line that gets everybody for whatever reason, uh, when I put my hand over the mic and said, who the hell is happy Gilmore? Yeah. And Jack just kind of shrugged, and uh, that one gets him every time. And I'm not sure. Now, they did fly us out to Los Angeles for the world premiere of Happy Gilmore, and it was a kick. I mean, we, Nancy and I, walked in a red carpet. We, 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 uh, we sat down, and when that line came up in the movie, everybody laughed, and I thought, well, this is a really good, uh, good dose of satisfaction to hear your not your line yeah. get like that. And one more story about it, and and of course it's in, it's it's played once a month on USA cable. I, I swear, and it just keeps getting passed out. I was doing a game in uh, Arizona basketball game with Billy Packer. And we had North Carolina at Arizona. And uh, so North Carolina came in and we, Roy Williams was the coach at Carolina. Luke, uh, Luke, Luke Olson was at Arizona. And Billy and I and the producer and director were sitting in the practice halfway up because Roy didn't want us down on the sidelines because we could hear him uh, curse out his team. Yeah. So anyway... <laughs> After practice, the guys are in post-practice stretching exercise. They're laying on the floor. And uh, this tall kid comes loping up the stands and looks in at our little group. And he said, "Uh, Mr. Lundquist, the group would like you to come down and say hello to him. And I said, you mean Billy Packer? 
And he said, no, they've asked for you. I said, what the heck? So I followed him back down and I'm standing above the prone figure of Tyler Hansborough, six foot, 10 inch All-American. And he's got a rope and he's stretching back. And he looks up at me and he said, okay, now give us the line from Happy Gilmore. (laughs) And I knew exactly what he wanted. So I did the whole, who the hell is happy? And the whole damn team started laughing. (laughs) And uh, I told the guys, now, if they did win the national title, I expected to shout out for giving them the motivational speech (laughs) that propelled them forward. Well, they did win the national title. And the ungrateful bastards never said a word. (laughs) Not a word. (laughs) Uh, You and... uh... Having you and Bob Barker in there. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, genius. Bob Barker was, and we got to meet him. He was not there when I was, because I was like the last day of shooting. And, and uh, but Adam Sandler was there, and, and uh, Carl Weathers was there. Uh, the caddy, the long shit, sh- the caddy, yeah. Chris O'Donnell, who played Shooter McGavin. Yeah. They were all there. I've got it in my home in, in the office in Steamboat. I've got a photo of Sandler and the caddy and uh, uh, Chris O'Donnell and the whole group. I'd love to show that one off. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that'll live forever. You know? Oh, I know. I uh, know. You know, I, I remember of course the, uh, 2009, I believe it was the Alabama Tennessee game. Uh Uh-huh. God, I think I was, standing on the couch and the couch popped a couple of times. I remember <laughs> and Terrence Cody being Mount Cody. Oh, out there. oh yeah. Yeah. Oh man. What a get, cause that was our, you know, that was going to be the perfect season. That was the first, that was the first one there since 92 that we were wanting so bad. And it came down to all those field goals. Yeah. And he blocked two of them. He blocked two of them, but it, your, your call at the end, was just it's just it was perfect you well, know perfect i vividly remember it and that one and and the uh iron bowl of 2013 of course oh is, god wait i want to yeah i, to... <laughs> <laughs> I understand that's that's oh, an open wound man i mean yeah. i can't i can't imagine i can't imagine that atmosphere the, to be in that atmosphere unbelievable yeah which yeah. is just insane and of course i keep thinking there's gonna be a you know a block in the back or something because yeah. you know at least half the time that happens and then we're good we you know but no it, no it was uh, chris I, I, davis right yeah chris davis yeah. and and uh on this little zoom call we do on wednesdays that that game came up and uh and of course, because we had a lot of Auburn people on the call. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember Ellis Johnson was the defensive coordinator. And during the, the long time that they're trying to decide whether or not there was one second left, it took them seven minutes. And they wanted to synchronize our end zone camera with their game camera so they could pr- tell precisely when his foot uh, hit the ground. Yeah, And, and Johnson... Uh, the defensive coordinator, special teams coach too, he made a change. And Chris Davis was not the original guy back there. 
And then during that long, lengthy seven-minute delay, he put Chris Davis back. And like you said, Andrew, I, there wasn't a block in the back. And Gary's summation was, was great on the third replay uh, because Alabama had the field goal blocking unit out there. And uh, so on the third replay, third time we, we played it back, Gary said, at the very end, just to punctuate the whole thing, he said, well, no wonder they couldn't make the tackle. They had nothing but fat guys on the field. Yeah, yeah I forgot about that. He did yeah, say that. Yeah, yeah. And I do, I remember when I said no flags, yeah. and, and then there was a fraction of a second when yeah. I looked back to my right, and I thought, dear God, don't let there be any flags. Because, you know, because – that's all i need yeah because i've already said yeah yeah. no flags so anyhow you know know, one thing about your calls especially the ones people really remember like the the chip shot well with with jack nicholas in 86 yeah right and and the tiger yeah one in uh way later you know as you just you kind of let the moment speak for itself well, I think that's the key uh, to react yeah. and not, not get out in front. Uh, let it happen first and then react to what you've just seen. And in my case, uh, I said what I did on, on – on, I mean, I remember vividly when, when Jack was standing over the putt. When he was walking up, I thought, well, whatever you say, keep it succinct and get out of the way yeah. as if he makes it. Uh, the world's going to explode. Yeah. Same thing with Tiger. I uh, when I saw it go in, I said, "In your life, have you ever seen it?" Because I never had. And I think people at home were thinking the same thing. I can't believe Jack Jack Buck, the late Jack Buck, had a great line on Kirk Gibson's pinch hit home run in the Oakland Dodgers '88 uh, World Series game when Kirk Gibson limped to the plate. Nobody thought he could play. And the ball, he hits a pinch hit, two-run homer over the right right field wall. And Jack's summation was, I don't believe what my eyes just saw. Oh, uh, yeah. And that was – now, that was that was succinct. Uh, his counterpart doing the game on television was Vin Scully, of whom there has never been an equal in our business, ever. And Scully said in a – his summation after Gibson rounded home, touched touch home, went in. Scully hadn't said a word. Out for an ovation. Scully still doesn't speak. Gibson's back in. He comes out for the second time. Only his timing was superb. And when the crowd noise begins to subside, Scully says, in a year of the improbable, the impossible has occurred. Can't beat that. No, and I I knew Ben uh, reasonably well, and I saw him one time in L.A. and I said I brought that phrase up. I said that's the best. Al Michaels gets all kinds of credit for do you believe in miracles, which was a great great call. But Scully was poetry, and I mm-hmm. said how in the world did you come up with that? And he shook his head. He said. I don't know, but it's pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
Uh, you can't get much more perfect than that. Uh, uh, eloquence personified. Um, did you first meet Nick Saban when he was with Belichick? Uh, yes. Yeah, Cleveland Browns. Yeah, when he was defensive coordinator. Did, was he – could you see a hunger in him, or was he just kind of out there one. doing the best? No. Uh, you know, we were doing a preseason game, uh, Cleveland and the Giants, I believe. Sims was playing, I know. And I was doing the game with John Madden. And uh, and Bill, because he was the defensive coordinator, we always talked to offensive and defensive and, and uh, head coach and four or five players. That's just – that's a format that everybody follows. And uh, – uh, I just I remember meeting with Nick Ben. That's the first time I met him, and then of course I knew him when he was at LSU, and then I really got to know him at at, uh, at Alabama because I did so many of their games, and you know I allowed myself not not ever on the air, but <clears throat> in a personal way I, I I really respect Nick, and I consider him a good friend. And uh, you can't ever let that get in the way of what your responsibility is. But uh, when when uh, I knew it was my last game at Alabama, uh, Nick, we always met with him uh, at eleven thirty every Friday morning, and he came. He comes in the meeting, and he, he gives us exactly half an hour, uh, and then he has a meeting with a women's group called. Nick at noon and 1500 ladies show up every Friday. Uh, that, that weekend, uh, his SID sports information director opened the door, Jeff Purinton. And he said, uh, Nick wants you to come in here to the main media gathering place. Then there was a big a uh, on the wall and Nick had a cameraman already set up. And he said, uh, I thought we'd get a memento for you of your last trip to Tuscaloosa. Wow. And uh, he signed it. I've got it in my office wall, and uh, I treasure that. Uh, Nick, you know, he signed it, uh, your friend, Nick. And uh, that's where the barrier comes down. Uh, and I yeah. know him. I, I once said, and I knew him well enough to be cheeky with him uh, every once in a while. And I said, <laughs> Nick, you know, you, you – when you address the local media, you sometimes get a little sarcastic and harsh. Why? And his SID, Jeff, blurted in, because they deserve it. <laughs> I can't answer that. I can't respond to that. But, uh, no, I admire him. Uh, and, and I, you know, I've found over the years that, uh, I I respond to people I respect and and I want human beings that I care about to do well to succeed not programs not colleges or universities it's the people involved and if I care about them I care that they succeed yeah. and Nick falls in that category uh, I I do believe I've had a relationship with with him that Give, gives me access to a little bit. Uh, the, the joy of his life is Terry, or he yeah. Miss Terry. And she is, she is, well, when he, uh, my first ever t 
televised game in 74 was for ABC. And it was Ohio University at Kent State. And the graduate assistant on that Kent State team was a guy named Nick Saban. Another graduate assistant was Gary Pinkle, who just won the College Football Hall of Fame, or is going yet. Uh, and Nick and I, over he was waiting for Terry to, to graduate. He, she was a year behind him. And we've had fun over the years that pretending like we both remember. I said, you know, Nick, you were sitting in that booth next to us and you're on the headset. He said, oh, yeah, I look, I remember looking over at you. And I thought, that guy's going to succeed at CBS years now. Uh, no, no, neither one is done. Remember. But Terry is a treasure and uh, she's she's something else. Well, you know, 2016, that Army Navy game. You oh. know, uh, how did that? How did that feel? Knowing that was going to be your, uh, your last football. It was very emotional, and uh, I I had asked for a couple of minutes at the end of the day to uh, to say goodbye, and uh, and again, it was predetermined. I mean, I knew going into that year. It's like, it's like my master's golf experience. Uh, uh, the understanding I've got with management at CVS is I'm going to do two more because that'll give me 39 next spring and 40 the year after. Well, we had decided orderly transition was proper, and I don't disagree with that. I, I wanted to keep going, but uh, I also understood the, the challenge of preparing for a football telecast is dramatically more severe than getting ready for a golf telecast. I mean, names and numbers, and those are challenges now. And and we're going to become that. Uh, so I knew that was my last one. Uh, and I had asked for a couple of minutes at the end, and it was graciously given to me. And I said to the producer, Craig Silver, I'm going to need the teleprompter. He said, you know, we can't get a teleprompter up there. And I said, Craig, I need a teleprompter. I can't, I can't memorize this. It's going to be emotional for me anyway. And so we found a way to get a teleprompter up there. And even so, uh, when it came time, uh, Nancy was, Nancy was standing 10 feet away over to my left. And I just, well, I knowing she was there, it was just more than I could almost bear. And so, uh, but it was, it was proper. Uh, would I like to continue? Yes, but I couldn't, I don't think I could do names and numbers now. Like I could then, uh, just the natural attrition of memory, uh, yeah. first names drive me nuts now. And I, I but I can remember something, Sure, it's short-term memory, yeah. and it's a it's a product of being eighty-two years of age. And like I said, the challenge in golf is much, much less severe. So, well, what do you think about all these uh, Hall of Fames and all these awards and all this recognition? You know that you've got. Uh, how does that make you? I mean, I'm. I know it's got to be an honor, but really, how does it make you feel? You know, uh, to whatever degree one who does what I do for a living can feel humbled 
because there's a certain uh, narcissism involved in, in what we all do, all of us who who have the gall to think that we can get on national television and entertain folks for three and a half hours or keep them informed and entertained because that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. uh, it is part showbiz. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 I can remember years ago in the, in the early, well, mid eighties, I'd say when I was working with Terry, uh, right about that time, uh, I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm, I'm just not going to get there. Not to, not to the extent that I aspired and quite obviously it something gelled and it, and it did, but I am humbled by it all. All of this, by the way, all the memorabilia, all the, the awards and plaques and photographs, uh, will ultimately go to my alma mater, Texas Lutheran. Uh, they are doing me the singular honor of naming a new uh, student athletic center in my name. Well and, deserved. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh, Mr. Bradshaw ponied up $50,000 as a kickoff. Uh, wow. and, and God love him for that. Uh, but that was at, at the banquet last March when they announced that they were going to do this. Matter of fact, I've got a meeting on the phone tomorrow with the president of the university about what, because we need to raise a lot of money. <laughs> and guess who they're counting on to help? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be named after you. You get on the phone. I know yeah. that's coming. I know it's coming. And that's fine. But, uh, uh, it's it's all all that is going to go in display cases uh, at Texas Lutheran and uh, the other Nancy and I don't have children so we can be a little more self indulgent than uh, a lot of other people and we're both very involved in a music festival in Austin Steamboat rather every summer and half of it will go there so anyway. Hope it's a long way off. <laughs> Me too, man. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just glad that you seem to be, you know, you and Nancy just seem to be enjoying life. At this oh, point. gosh, yes. Yeah, we are. I can't wait. You know, we're flying to Jacksonville Wednesday. And uh, I, I called Craig Silver and I said, do you know anybody who would give me a CBS credential? <laughs> no, uh, I'm not going to stay in the booth with Brad and Gary. Uh, they don't need me in there. Uh, and I've, I've not been to a game since I retired. Really? Uh, well, I, I did go to a George Florida game, but it was too early for me to uh, infringe on Brad's space. So I sat in the main press box. That was a couple years ago. But they know we're coming, and Nancy's not. We're staying with friends who have a beautiful place on the beach. And I said, "Honey, do you want to go to the game?" She said, "Not in your life." <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm doing a speech at the Jacksonville Touchdown Club uh, next Thursday. Nice. Yeah, so I keep my my big toe in it, uh, and and. Uh, still enjoy interacting with folks. Well, man, just, uh, 
really glad you're doing well uh, and yeah. good health. You and your wife both, and glad you're still out there. You know uh, what your your words and your life and experiences inspire a lot of people. Andrew, thank you. I, I, this has been very enjoyable, by the way. Oh, me, me too. Uh, it's been a huge honor. I'm glad you uh, sat down here with us for a few minutes. All right, y'all been watching Picking It Out, and we'll see you next time.